0: futurebased.org welcome i'm here with melanie joy she's a psychologist prolific author and speaker she has a ted talk and she's the writer of multiple books one of them is why we love dogs eat pigs and wear cows it's an influential book especially in the vegan scene and i'm talking to her on the occasion of the dutch translation of the book welcome to the show
1: hi thanks for having me
0: i wanted to start with the term carnism your book is about carnism for just for the listeners who do not know what carnism is.
1: What is it and why do you call it an ide- ideology? So in order to explain what carnism is, it can be useful to start with an example. So imagine that you are biting into a juicy hamburger and your dining companion says to you, you know, the meat in that hamburger is not beef. It's made from golden retrievers. Now. Chances are what you had just thought of as food, you now think of as a dead animal. And what you had just felt was delicious, you now feel is disgusting. And so rather than continue eating that hamburger, you probably want to throw it away and maybe even take to the streets and protest. That's because you haven't been conditioned to perceive or think of golden retrievers as edible. So your reaction to the idea of eating golden retrievers is actually your authentic reaction, your authentic thoughts, feelings, and therefore behaviors are in reaction to the idea of eating golden retrievers. Carnism is the invisible belief system that conditions us to eat certain animals. Basically, what carnism does is it conditions us to disconnect from our authentic thoughts and feelings when it comes to those animals we've learned to classify as edible. So when you thought you were eating the meat of cows, you didn't have an image of the cows in your mind. You didn't feel disgusted. And you probably felt that that was delicious and wanted to continue eating because you haven't been influenced by the system of carnism when it comes to eating golden retrievers. And this isn't only about meat, it's also about dairy, right? It's about eggs and dairy. So carn, this prefix, means flesh or of, from the flesh. So it basically refers to the consumption of meat, eggs, and dairy. So carnism is essentially the opposite of veganism we usually assume that only vegans and vegetarians follow a belief system but the only reason we might eat pigs but not dogs for example is because we do have a belief system when it comes to eating animals when eating animals is not a necessity which is true for many people in the world today then it's a choice and choices always stem from beliefs But most people don't recognize that they're making a choice when they eat animals because they've been born into this system that is carnism. There are two things that are really important to know about carnism. It's a special kind of belief system. It's a dominant belief system. That means that it is so widespread, it's teachings, beliefs are so widespread that they're invisible. They're woven through the structure of society to shape norms, laws, beliefs, behaviors, et cetera. And they become institutionalized so when we study nutrition for example we actually study carnistic nutrition carnism is also a violent system it's literally organized around violence and most people would never willingly support a system such as carnism which really runs counter to our core values of compassion or caring and justice or fairness so in order To basically keep itself alive, carnism needs to use a set of psychological defense mechanisms. These mechanisms distort our perceptions of meat, eggs, and dairy from those animals we've learned to classify as edible so that we can act against our values and against our interests and against the interests of others without even realizing what we're doing. Carnism basically teaches us how not to think and feel. I'm really sympathetic to this view. However, I'd like to push you a bit
0: on this. So when I think about these ideas, I think, well, they're partly invisible. When I think about slaughterhouses, for instance, here in the Netherlands, last year, we had an instance of a slaughterhouse, which had huge mistreatments of animals and people were really ashamed, angry because of it. Then again, when you go to the shop and buy some milk, you see a cow on on the packaging, right?
1: That's right. You see a happy cow on the package of the milk. You don't see a cow who has been raised in intensive confinement who has had her baby taken from her after hours of birth, who's screaming in grief, and who's sent to slaughter a slaughterhouse where she is slaughtered in a manner that most people would find deeply, deeply offensive. That's what we don't see. To your point, however, which is a good point, you know, invisibility, th- this system of carnism isn't 100% invisible. It's true that the vast majority of farmed animals are invisible. They do have lives and deaths that we never ever see. I mean, in just one day, more farmed animals are slaughtered globally than the total number of people killed in all wars throughout history, right? So so this is this machine of carnism keeps its practices largely invisible. However, it's not 100% invisible. And this is where carnistic, these psychological defense mechanisms play a really important role. Because when we do see the truth about carnism, when we do see images of cows, for example, we nevertheless have all sorts of psychological backup defenses to keep us psychologically and emotionally disconnected from the reality of what we're supporting when we support carnism. So for example, Carnism conditions us to think of farmed animals as abstractions, as lacking any individuality or personality of their own. So we learn to believe, for example, that a pig is a pig and all pigs are the same. Or carnism teaches us to believe that um, farmed animals are objects. So when we refer to the chicken on our plate, we say that it's something rather than someone. These are distancing mechanisms. So humans have a remarkable capacity to distance themselves from the reality of violence that they may be contributing to. Carnism provides us with the tools to keep us disconnected so that we continue to support a system that most of us would not want to support if we had not been so conditioned.
0: So if I understand you correctly, when someone eats pork, for instance, they do not think about babe. I don't know if you know. The film yeah. about the talking pig. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, probably they don't. They might. People fall on a different places on the spectrum of, of carnism, right? There has been some interesting research looking at how some people are more comfortable with the idea of eating animals than others. And, you know, there there are many people in the world today. Some some people, for example, you know, support forms of violence toward other humans that other people wouldn't support so what i am saying is that most people uh when they are truly exposed to the realities of animal agriculture and when their carnistic defense mechanisms are lowered when they become aware of these ways of thinking most people react with shock and horror and do not want to support the system
0: yeah makes me think about uh, paul mccartney singer of the beatles who Mm -hmm. says well if Slaughterhouses had glass walls, this whole problem would be over with. You also discussed it in your book, his proposal to give Slaughterhouses glass walls, and you're a bit critical of it. So it makes me ask, to
1: what extent would visibility help? I think vis- I think visibility would help a lot. I wouldn't say that I'm actually critical of it. I just mm. think that it's not enough. We know that humans can be desensitized in a lot of ways. So, for example, studies have shown that officers in the military, soldiers in the military, historically have very high what's called misfire rates. This means that a large percentage of people in war, soldiers in war, intentionally fired over the enemy's head or past the enemy because they were so uncomfortable with killing. But with each new war, that misfire rate goes down because the soldiers are more effectively conditioned to disconnect from their emotions when when they're basically put in the killing fields. So people can be desensitized. So we might see the reality of carnism, but there are other ways that we become desensitized to the suffering of other animals, psychological mechanisms that are in place. So I think it's important to make the invisible visible, but it's also important to change the way that we think in the first place and to undo the conditioning of carnism.
0: Mm -hmm. When we talk about this
1: unconditioning. We could
0: talk about the beliefs people have. We could also talk about the way they act. If you had to choose, which of the two is more important?
1: Well, I think they're both important. Studies have shown, and different people, you know, are motivated by different things. For some people, they become aware, you know, of their own beliefs and they change behaviors. Other people change their behaviors first. Studies have shown that behavioral change can and does sometimes come before attitudinal change. So when people eat less meat, for example, because they're concerned with their own health or the environment, that increases the chances that they will be supportive of animal rights.
0: So it's a bit of both. It's a cyclical process and it differs per person.
1: Definitely. It seems like meat
0: eaters have a form of cognitive dissonance. There's research showing this. There was a piece in the Dutch uh, newspaper, the Volkskrant, which shows that meat eaters have a lot of cognitive dissonance, more than people drinking, for instance, who also know that, that that's bad. What's the most effective way to make meat eaters realize their cognitive dissonance?
1: Well, I think it's very important to, you know, help people become aware of the way that their values and behaviors are not in alignment, which is basically what cognitive dissonance reflects. Cognitive dissonance is the inner internal discomfort we feel when our moral values or when our values are not in alignment with our behaviors, which is certainly true what my research and other research demonstrates when it comes to eating animals. It's important to raise awareness of this issue of cognitive dissonance and of the issue of animal Agriculture in a way that doesn't shame and blame. You know, carnism, as I said earlier, is organized around defenses. These defense mechanisms become internalized in us. You know, when we're born into a dominant system like carnism, we inevitably learn to look at the world through the lens of carnism. We internalize that system. So we internalize carnistic defenses. And this is why people, you know, when there are many people anyway who are not vegan, when they're confronted with information about animal agriculture, about veganism, often the the first reaction is to feel very defensive. Carnism essentially causes us to resist the very information that would get us out of carnistic box so communicating about this issue needs to be done in a way that's really about raising awareness and not shaming people for eating animals or blaming people for the problem but simply presenting the truth of the situation in a way that is respectful of people's dignity that says this just because you eat animals that doesn't make you a bad person you have been socialized into a system that's conditioned you to think and act in certain ways and to provide people with opportunities to change that are realistic and work for them
0: yeah when, when i think about my own experience i've been vegetarian almost all of my life and i've been vegan for i guess two years or so and the thing that kept me from becoming a vegan was that it's just difficult when everything around you is organized like when you go to work, people always have meat, or at least cheese and veganism just isn't that popular. So isn't it just that it's really difficult to become vegan?
1: Well, I mean, it's becoming easier and easier, and it really depends on your level of privilege and what kind of access you have to foods that are, you know, healthful vegan foods. It's easier today than it has ever been for many people um, to become vegan, but carnism is set up in order to basically to maintain itself. And what that means is that social norms, the whole, the whole you know the the norm of the dominant culture is eating animals so it's certainly easier to follow the dominant norm than it is to challenge that norm just like it's easier to support other kinds of you know violence against humans and you know or, or oppression against humans But it is true that it's becoming easier to become vegan and support for veganism is increasing. I've been talking about this issue for a decade now, and I have traveled to about 50 countries on six continents and everywhere I've gone, I have heard exactly the same thing without exception, which is that awareness of plant based eating or veganism is growing exponentially and support for it is also growing exponentially. And so that makes me feel very hopeful that things are going to become increasingly, it's going to be increasingly easy to at least reduce your consumption of carnistic products. And the more people reduce, the less defensive they are to challenges to eating animals And the more companies are producing plant-based products that then makes it easier to become vegan.
0: So you would say it's better to preach effectively, make steps, maybe tiny steps towards veganism and not necessarily make them vegan directly.
1: Well, I think it's encouraging people to really see veganism and carnism on a spectrum is very helpful and research suggests that smaller steps you know that that encouraging smaller steps rather than sort of all or nothing change is more likely to be effective so i think both of these things are effective and i also encourage people to really think you know not think of this issue as either you're vegan and you're part of the solution or you're not vegan and you're part of the problem because you know, then that prevents like 99% of the global population from supporting a cause that needs all the help it can get. People can be an ally in the transformation of carnism by using their influence however they can. You know, they are journalists who interview me and raise awareness among, you know, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of people about this issue, sometimes do more than a single vegan does not eating just not eating animals in their lifetime. You can donate to organizations that are supporting change. There are lots of ways to be an ally. Someone who I think is also sympathetic, but
0: also really critical about this position is Steven Pinker. Probably have heard of him, the Harvard psychologist. I recently attended a talk by him. In Amsterdam, here in the Netherlands. And he compared eating meat and also, or eating less meat, I should say, and climate action to a collective action problem. So he says, well, individual responsibility just doesn't work. If I, as an individual, stop eating, stop eating meat or try to do something to climate, that just isn't rational. It isn't worth the trouble because it doesn't solve the problem. How would you react to such a line of thought?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification. Individuals are, you know, don't all have an equal amount of influence. If Oprah Winfrey stops eating meat, you know, or Obama stops eating meat, that certainly is going to have a pretty significant impact on the public. And with uh, outreach efforts, you know, it's really important to be reaching out to people in positions of influence. But, you know, not eating meat is... or not eating animals is one piece of a much broader whole of working toward veganism. And we're, you know, working toward a better world for animals. And so I, you know, this conversation looking at this issue is just about who is eating meat and who is not eating meat, I think detracts the focus from what steps are we taking to raise awareness of the problems inherent in animal agriculture and to provide alternatives. And we can also look at this. There, there are individuals who simply stop eating meat and that's, you know, having a very small impact on the change that needs to happen I mean I think it's worth doing but it's a very small impact then there are people who stop eating meat and become active obviously becoming active and becoming an advocate is a really important piece of
0: this step toward transformation so individual responsibility might help
1: well individual responsibility needs I mean individual responsibility needs to be a part of this whole the collective is simply a collective of individuals and we know that like big change is going to be institutional but institutional are made up of people. But the individual individual change is not the only form of change that we need to, to work toward. We obviously need to be re- reaching out to institutions, and there are some great organizations that are doing that because that's where the biggest shift is going to be. That ties into my
0: follow-up question. Obviously this podcast is called Future-Based Politics, and I would like to know to what extent is the way we treat animals, eating meat, but also uh, dairy products, a political issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, we think about animals as sentient beings with lives that matter to them. If we replace farmed animals with the kinds of animals, you know, in this question, with the kinds of animals that people in the West, at least, you know, since we're having this conversation in Europe, think of as deserving of moral concern, of being treated with respect, dogs and cats, companion animals, for example, and we ask this question, to what extent is the way that we treat animals a political issue, most people would say, of course, this is a political issue. You know, we don't assume that people are just going to treat other animals or other humans appropriately and with respect when those other animals don't have any rights and do not have any protection and do not have political support. If
0: you look at political support, I'm here in the Netherlands, we have an animal party in parliament. At the same time, Netherlands is also second to only the USA, the biggest exporter of meat in the world. So when you look at my country, the Netherlands, what feeling dominates, sadness, hope, why? Uh, I
1: I think they exist side by side as they do in in many places in the world. I mean, carnism is a global atrocity. When you just look at the numbers and you look at the level of suffering, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't change the level or the type of exploitation that farmed animals experience doesn't change that dramatically from country to country and there are obviously variations but what you can see in the Netherlands is you know there was a new law uh, animal welfare law passed I believe in in June that as they say end the intensive and intensive livestock farming I mean this is significant whether that ends up happening or not the fact that there was a law that was passed that's actually addressing this issue in such a way is very impressive to me and very inspirational to me and this is the way change happens this is the way political change happens you know you have Have initiatives get put forward and they may not be actioned the way that we hope for them to get actioned, but the conversation has been generated. So I think in the Netherlands, and you can see the last time I was in the Netherlands, I should say, it was uh, like before COVID actually, but shortly before COVID, I was very impressed with the change that I had seen just from a couple of years before having been in the Netherlands. I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but I mean, in two years, there was just so much more awareness and availability of vegan foods and grocery stores and restaurants and You know, people using the word vegan, it was really quite incredible. You know, just like with any social issue, you know, countries are more or less advanced in a particular area or progressive in a particular area, depending on a lot of things. I mean, you know, you need to be in a certain level of economic advantage. You have a certain level of privilege in order to make your food choices freely in the first place. But this is the way change happens, it happens in, you know, certain countries more than others and eventually it gets more and more widespread it's not only the more economically um, advantaged countries though that are more supportive of veganism i mean that you can find support of veganism all around the world in a variety of different kinds of different countries i was in taiwan a few years ago and there's just a tremendous support i mean the taiwanese economy is obviously fairly strong but even in these sort of small rural areas you could find quite a few vegan products to eat and quite a few restaurants that were very vegan friendly.
0: So there are some promising developments. What are the most promising developments at the moment? what are the most disappointing developments in the way we treat animals?
1: I would say I, I would have liked to have seen more of a conversation at COP26 about animal agriculture and climate change, you know. And again, this is this is disappointing, but at the same time, your disappointment is always equal to your expectations. I didn't have high expectations, but it would have been nice to have seen more conversation about animal agriculture in conversations about um, addressing climate change. I think the most promising developments I've seen is, is what I've already shared with you, which is that there's just tremendous growth and aware, growth and awareness and support for plant-based or vegan eating all around the world. Your book was uh, appeared in 2010, if I'm correct.
0: Which are the most important insights that you've gained uh, since the first publishing of the book?
1: I think, you know, having traveled so much, probably the most important sort of piece of information I've taken away is that people all around the world are more similar than we are different when it comes to this issue of eating animals, and certainly other issues as well. But this is what I've been focusing on. I haven't been to any country where people have not been deeply concerned about the treatment of other animals, and this is including farmed animals, and deeply distressed at the suffering of those animals and interested in transforming, helping to transform the system. So that has given me, that has given me a lot of hope. How we look at the responses uh, to your book? Are there responses that you will never forget? <laughs> I mean, it's it's been wonderful. The book is published in, I think it's 18 languages now. And there's been a, a very positive response to the book. And, and what gives me, and that's part of what gives me a lot of hope. I, I wrote the book, obviously, I wanted the book to support vegans, but I primarily wrote the book for people who are not vegan to invite them into the conversation. And the vast majority of people have responded to that book in a very, very supportive way. What are you working on at the moment? My organization, Beyond Carnism, is um, we have a mission to expose and transform carnism globally. And so we've been working on a couple of things. We have just launched our first online courses for people who want to talk about veganism and advocate veganism effectively through our Center for Effective Vegan Advocacy. So we've got two digitized courses now and a lot of offerings for people who are really interested in helping to transform Carnism. And we are also doing work promoting awareness of how Carnism is interconnected with other violent systems or systems of oppression you know patriarchy classism racism and so on and so forth but looking at these systems of oppression through the lens of relationships and really promoting an understanding of healthy ways of relating and helping to raise awareness of the need to build what I call relational literacy, the understanding of an ability to practice healthy ways of relating and providing tools for people who want to do that kind of work.
0: A final question for listeners who would like to learn more about Carnism and the topics we talked about. What would you recommend to the listeners?
1: If they just come to our website, Carnism.org, we have a lot of materials for people, regardless of you know where they are in their sort of dietary and their lifestyle.
0: We'll put that in the show notes. I want to thank you for this conversation. It was a real joy to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Madeline. thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure. For more information, links, and show notes, visit futurebased.org.